At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Well, I get a chance to be up here with this pretty lady, uh, my wife, uh, Yodi, uh, today, because we want to help to kind of maybe give some uh, shepherding and some perspective on the week that we just experienced. To say it was a monumental and historic week is an understatement. Many of you saw the decision by the Supreme Court, which I would argue is the most significant decision the Supreme Court has made in a half a century, in 50 years. Um, Praise God. Um, I praise God that our Supreme Court, and we give the government, rightfully so, a hard time when they make a mistake, and we should celebrate when any branch of government does what is right in the eyes of God, and, and to affirm life is right in the eyes of God. Now, I recognize we're a big church. There are people of many opinions within our fellowship, and we want to make sure that we walk out truth even truth, God's truth with grace. But let me explain to you why I believe, why we believe that uh, what happened on Friday was a good thing. It's because of Genesis 126. It's a pre-partisan issue. This is secondarily political, but it is primarily uh, the moral vision of God. You know, our world presents us with this dichotomy that either you can love and support women or you can see life in the womb as precious and protect it. But the gospel gives us a better vision that God has called us to both love and honor the agency and accomplishments of women, the the strength and the voice of women, while at the same time protecting life in the womb. Genesis 1.26 tells us that in the beginning, God says, let us make man in our image. Friends, that's the foundation of human dignity, that all humanity has dignity, that every human being is valuable in the eyes of God, regardless of economic or social status or background, whether disabled or elderly, and yes, even life in the womb. How many know carries intrinsic value from our God? It's not bestowed upon you. Your value is not bestowed upon you by government. It's, it can be affirmed by them, but it's not bestowed upon you by any external person. Your value comes from God Himself. And so on Friday, when I heard the announcement, I thought about the fact that my dad used to always tell me, son, no victory comes overnight. The fact of the matter is, is that it's been 49 years of many, many people saying that life in the womb is worth protecting. And by the way, if you believe in any other human right, it has to start with the right to life. If you can't live, how can any other right be defended? And so as I thought about it, I thought about all the amazing people, in particular the amazing women that God has placed in my life, strong women who have been passionately uh, committed to the uh, sanctity of life. And standing next to me is one of the strongest. It's about 15 years ago, my wife started a ministry called Infinite Love, where she chose to use her voice to advocate for the unborn, for those in foster care, for those who are in need of forever homes that need adoption. And she's been doing that. God used my wife to help to bring a pregnancy resource center 
uh, to the heart of Detroit in a time where there was only abortion clinics. And she helped to partner with the group. We brought a CareNet Pregnancy Center in, and there are many kids running around Metro Detroit alive today who otherwise would not be because of uh, her voice and her leveraging that. Amen? So today I just asked her if she would uh, share a few words and pray for us. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to um, to just be an encouragement today. And I want to just say from Psalm 139, I just want to read. It says, for you formed me in my, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in, mother, in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. That's Psalm 139, 13 to 17. And that is a passage that definitely fueled my passion and my heart to help others to see that it is not about a choice that we get to make, but it is about purpose that was infused even at the time when we were an unformed substance in our mother's womb. God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us, no matter if your chromosomes were whole or were uh, half, whether you were, your life ends up being a long one or a short one. He is the one who has the plan for our lives. He's the author, the finisher of our faith, and the one who has numbered our days. And so it is our, um, it is our privilege as the people of God to help others to understand that it is God who has given us value. It is God who has um, numbered those days for us and it is for us to encourage others to be able to say it is his, life is in his hand, not in our hand. And I'm grateful to be able to be among the many, many of you who have uh, championed pro-life causes um, over the years, whether recently or over the decades. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that values life and that is able to speak out and encourage the sanctity of life at every stage and every age. And and I just want to encourage you to be able to be bold, but also to be um, and, and courageous, but also to have love in your heart for those who are hurting, those who have felt marginalized, those who feel uh, a pressure from wherever the source to be in this situation to consider even the horrific act of abortion. And so we don't, we are not those who wag our, our fingers at others. We are those who come along side of them and say, we want to show you a different and a better way. And we want to show you a God who loves you more than you can imagine and is able to take you through what even seems like the hardest part of your life. God is able, God is able to use us and God is able to use those who will make the choice to choose life for their children from here on out. We're grateful for that. And just pray with me um, in this moment that the Lord would be with us. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for 
for your goodness and your grace and your mercy in each of our lives. We thank you for the opportunity to live the purpose life that you have for each of us. Lord, may we be a voice of encouragement and love and a voice of boldness to those who don't understand, who don't know, and who need a witness. Lord, we thank you for every child who will have the opportunity to live their life, Lord. Um, But we also thank you that you will teach us to speak in uh, grace, Lord, to speak with love to those, Lord, who disagree. Father, we thank you that you are in the midst of all of this. And we ask, Father, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, praise God. Um. As we go further in our um, service today, I do want to say um, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that loves kids. And as Pastor EJ talked about, this is a big week, so pray with us as we do our flip camp, our largest outreach to kids this week, that many will make decisions for faith in Christ. How many are grateful to be a part of a church that loves kids? Amen? All right. With that being said, I want to get back into our series for today. We've been in this series that we have entitled Family, Why Bother? Which certainly captures the mood and maybe the sentiment of a generation that is questioning afresh and anew, is marriage worth it? Are kids worth it? Is parenting a good thing? After all, why bother with any of it? And maybe you've experienced what it's like to go through deep hurt within a family. It is true that no one can hurt you like family. But I want to persuade you that the opposite is true as well, that there is no blessing like family blessing. And so we've been looking at the first family, the family in Genesis, starting with Adam, and we've made our way up until Isaac. And what a story it's been. It's an amazing thing in Genesis 1, how we see over and over after each day of creation, God saying, and it was good, and it was good. And then he concludes and says, and it was very good. By the time we get to Genesis 3, we see sin enter the picture. It goes from being very good to very broken. And why, again, was it very broken? It's because whenever sin enters in, good things get broken. And this is a story of not only the first family, but it's a story of our families as well. We went from there through the story of Abraham having to trust God for himself. And we encourage you to trust the Lord. As I said earlier, the Bible says that if we trust the Lord, he will direct our paths. He will order our footsteps. I promise you, if you put your trust and faith in Jesus, he will direct your path and get you to the desired destination that he's intended for your life. But from there, we turned the page and we saw how Abraham had to trust God for his son, Isaac. And I said, it may be harder for us to trust God for our children than it is for ourselves. How many parents would agree with that? That it's more difficult to see your kids kind of launch out or your grandkids launch out than it is maybe for you to take certain risks in life or to navigate life. But trust we must. Because in spite of all the apps that are out, I have not figured out an app to clone myself so that I can be with them 24 hours a day. If that app comes out, let me know. But the fact of the matter is I got to trust God as they go throughout their day to keep them as well. Today we're going to join the story again in Genesis chapter 25. I want you to join me there. Now what we're going to see today is deep dysfunction. 
dysfunction in a family. As a matter of fact, what I want to share with you today is going to feel like an episode from the Jerry Springer show. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're going to think to yourself, how in the world could this be in Scripture? But what I love about Scripture is that it is not watered down. It doesn't hide the brokenness. One of the reasons why I believe in the authority and integrity and veracity of this book is because it's not a fan book. It's not a group of people writing about how great they were. All the dysfunction is on display, and they're pointing to a great God who, in spite of their dysfunction, his grace prevails. So if you hear anything today, know this, that every family experiences dysfunction, but God's grace is greater. Chapter 25, we open with a story about Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. Now, last we were together, Abraham, Isaac's dad, was trying to find a wife for his son. His wife ultimately finds a beautiful wife, Rebecca, and she goes years without having children. And so here she is in a moment where she was barren, not having children, and wanting them deeply. If you've ever been through that, you can identify with where Rebecca finds herself. But yet in the midst of this, God hears the prayer of a husband on behalf of his wife. And God blesses her with twins. Now, I'm going to try to cover today eight chapters. It's an impossible task. But I'm going to try to cover it by narrative primarily. We'll look at a few verses. But I want to say this. Pretty early on in this narrative, you see something's gone wrong with this family. And it starts in verse 21 of chapter 25. It says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord, for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within. You shall be, divi you shall, uh, be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Notice that the Lord granted this prayer request. And you know, I know what it's like. Me and my wife, for the first nine years of our marriage, we didn't, didn't have kids, and we uh, prayed to the Lord. The Lord would bless us, and God has blessed us tremendously. Since that time, we've adopted three children. God has blessed us with three additional biological children. So as you pray for the Brooks family, the prayer for children has already been answered. You don't have to pray that. You can pray a whole lot of other things. God has answered that prayer. Uh, God uh, does that. He answers our, our prayers in his own way and his own timing, maybe through adoption for some, maybe through fostering for others, maybe through biological children, but parenting is a blessing. How many would say amen to that? But from the very beginning, while these kids are in the womb, they're tussling with one another. And Jacob, whose, whose name implies an ankle grabber, he is literally grabbing at his older brother Esau's ankle as Esau comes out just moments before Jacob is born, making Esau the older. But notice what God establishes here. God establishes that he desires to bless Jacob. 
That's his wisdom. And, and some things that God does is beyond our wisdom. But, but it's not that he is not going to bless the family as a whole. But there's something specific he wants to do through Jacob. But yet you see further dysfunction as you jump down to verse number 28. Not only are the boys tussling with one another, but look at what it says about the parents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Notice here now, mom and dad have their favorites. Isn't that a, a, a small little secret that is kept within families that as parents, you naturally have an affinity that draws you towards one child, maybe uh, connecting with them in special ways different than others. It doesn't mean that you can't love your children equally, but it does mean that we all have personalities. But yet there was something different about this. The tension between uh, mom and dad was felt between the boys and Esau knew there's something special about me and dad's relationship that's different than what Jacob had. And Jacob knew that mom loved him. Well, maybe you're in a family where you experience that. Maybe you're in a family where you're experiencing that type of brokenness, that type of dysfunction, and that type of sibling rivalry. What I want you to know is that every family experiences dysfunction. Your family is not uniquely different in that way. How many have ever heard of Thomas Kincaid? Anybody ever heard of him? He was one of the world's most famous painters. He was called the painter of light. Every picture that he painted of a family or a home uh, was always featuring light, and it was always this warm place where you said, man, I don't know what that picture is about. I don't know where that picture is at, but I want to be there. That was the type of way that he painted. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is what the Bible reveals to us about falling humanity is that our lives are not a Thomas Kincaid painting. Maybe you thought when I get married, it'll be a Thomas Kincaid painting, but it hasn't been. Again, maybe it's been an episode out of Jerry Springer. Maybe you thought when you had kids, it'll be a Thomas Kincaid painting, but it hasn't been. Maybe it's been the opposite, postpartum depression or challenges with a strong-willed child, and you're saying, God, what is going on here? Notice that Re Rebecca had to inquire of the Lord, if this is your blessing for me, why is this happening? But God's simple answer to, to her, to us, is his grace is sufficient, is that he is with us, that in the brokenness of life, his grace is present. But the question may arise, why is there so much tension in this family? Well, the Bible continues to answer that question. In the next chapter, 26, look at verse number 34 with me. Again, we're going to jump some chapters here, but in verse number 34 of chapter 26, it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took uh, Judith, the daughter of uh, Beri, uh, the Hittite to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, uh, the Hittite. So here he takes uh, two women to be his wives. Now, it's important for me to say here the difference between uh, prescriptive verses and descriptive verses. A descriptive verse of scripture just captures the history. It describes what took place with no ethical endorsement. A prescriptive verse of scripture is one that gives us a command or this is the will of the Lord or do this. So when we see him take on two wives, we don't see God encouraging him to do that. He chose to do that. 
But notice what it says in the next verse. It says, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Jacob. I think this is the first place where we see in-law problems. The tension between uh, Esau and his wife or wives and his parents. They just did not get along. I will not have you raise your hand if this is you. I won't have you say amen either. Just look straight ahead and your daughter-in-law or son-in-law will not know that you're thinking about them right now. But what caused this dysfunction? Sibling rivalry, uh, in-law problems, tensions and favoritism. Well, we see a little bit of a hint in verse number one of chapter 27. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, or in other words, he was blind, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapon, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me uh, delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Notice what's happening here. God has already established something very, very important and vital in their day, the birthright. The birthright is not something that we really practice today. It was a, a practice of ancient Israel, but it was the, the line of blessing through which the promise of God to Abraham, that he would bless him to be a mighty nation, that it was supposed to flow through. And what God says to Isaac and to uh, his wife, Rebecca, when they inquired of the Lord about the boys, even while they were in the womb, is that Jacob was the one that the blessing, the birthright was supposed to come through. That was not typical order. Normally, it was the oldest child. And Esau tried all that he could throughout his life to make, I'm, I'm sorry, Isaac tried all he could throughout his life to make Esau the favorite son. But God had another plan. But yet, Isaac did not want to cooperate with God's plan, which gives me the big idea. And this is what I want to drive home to you, is that disobedience brings dysfunction to our family. It's disobedience to God's word, his ways, his will that produces dysfunction in our family. Now, sometimes we're the source of the disobedience. I know the temptation in a sermon like this is for you to think about all the wonderful people that you feel need to hear this. But the fact of the matter is God in his wisdom chose for us to be here. So maybe we are the ones that God wants to say, it's time for you to get aligned with me because your disobedience will bring dysfunction to your family. When we break covenant with our spouse, it brings dysfunction. When we decide that we're going to... Um, abuse our children, it brings dysfunction to our families. When we allow lies to persist in our homes, it brings dysfunction to our family. As a matter of fact, as a rule of principle, obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings dysfunction. And as much as it's possible with you, 
You can't control other people's behavior or choices, but you make a decision today, I want to be a source of blessing for my family. And how do I position myself to be a source of blessing for my family? It's to obey the Lord over and again. The Bible teaches us that those who obey the Lord and keep his commandments, he not just ble- does he doesn't just bless them, but he blesses the generations that come after them. He blesses their family. But Isaac didn't do that. He wanted to force his will over God's will. And one Old Testament scholar says this, the family is not working together concerning the story of Isaac and Rebekah and their children, but conspiring against one another because the patriarch Isaac offers no spiritual leadership. At its core, the family's dysfunction is the result of their disobedience. And for us, It's a reminder that truly all family dysfunction finds its root in disobedience. Over and again, this is the story of of the Bible. Listen, friends, there is a way that seems right into us, but the end of those ways, they end in destruction. So the plot was set. Isaac had decided, I'm getting older. I don't know when I'm going to die. So Esau, I'm going to bless you before what God has already intended comes to pass. But Rebecca overhears this, and you remember who her favorite was. Her favorite was Jacob, and these boys, though twins, were very different. Isaac was a hunter. He was a hunter, and uh, he was a hairy man, and that's why his father loved him, if you remember. And so what Rebecca says to Jacob is that, listen, your father's blind. He can't see, so here's what I want you to do. Go kill a goat. We're going to cook a meal for him that he will love. I know what your daddy likes. This is Chris Brooks' interpretation. And then she says, I'm going to cover you in the skin of the goat so that when you go in, when your father touches you, he will feel the hair of that skin and think it's your brother. And then after he does that, he'll eat the meal and think your brother has made the meal and he will bless you. And this may seem like, man, this is a whole lot of dysfunction. I told you, this family was messed up. You think yours is. This family was messed up. But yet what we see is God's will prevailing in the midst of it. God's grace prevailing in the midst of it. I want you to join me in chapter 28. Go to chapter 28. Because there's another deep point that's here. If disobedience brings dysfunction, what about God's grace? Well, God's grace shines through family dysfunction. Look at verses three through five. Jacob goes in pretending to be his brother and here's what what happens. Isaac is tricked and he says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you and that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. Jacob receives this blessing. Now to you and me, we may read this and say, we don't like the means by which this comes about. Fair enough. But ultimately, what we must agree with and what we must accept is that our frailty, and this is worth saying amen over, does not stop the will of God. How many praise God for that? That even my brokenness does not stop the will of God, that God's grace can be at work. 
And maybe you've been the child of manipulation. Maybe you know this pain all too well. Maybe there's been deceit and deception within your family. I want you to hear me clearly that God's grace has not forgotten you. That God's purpose and plan from the time that you were in the womb is still intact. No one can rob you of the grace of God. When you turn to him with your whole heart, God has a blessing, a blessing that will get to you even when others try to manipulate it away from you. It was Isaac, by the way, that was trying to undermine the will of God, but it was God who says, you may try to thwart what I'm doing, but my will shall come to pass. God's grace shines even in the midst of dysfunction. And what I love about Scripture is that it doesn't wash over it. It doesn't pretend like this is a Thomas Kincaid painting. And I'm glad that it doesn't because my life, my family is not a Thomas Kincaid painting. I remember, I remember when my parents went through a divorce. Me and my brother, younger kids, went through a divorce. And as much as I loved my dad, we went through years of estrangement as I couldn't understand, couldn't fathom why he wasn't there and why he was out of the house. I know what it's like to go through this type of family tension and family brokenness. And oh, by the way, God's going to deal with Isaac and, and Jacob as well. God not only uh, deals with Isaac, but Jacob, after this happens, Esau comes in to serve his father the meal that his father requested from him. And his father says, what are you doing? I just blessed you. And Esau said, no, that wasn't me. And in that moment, they realize something. Isaac realizes that I can't take the blessing and do with it what I want. The blessing was never mine to control. God is the one who controls the blessing for my children. And praise God. Praise God for what I just said. God is the one who controls the blessing for children. That means that even if you had dysfunctional parents, that that doesn't stop God's blessing from your life. That God can bless you in spite of the dysfunction of a mom and dad who did not do what they should have done. Isaac, I mean Esau though rather, realizes that he was tricked and he is angry and he wants to kill his brother for being a trickster. So Jacob has to go away from the family. He has to go away from the family for 20 years. It took 20 years for God to work out the deception and the deceit in him. Let me just say this, 20 years he was separated from the family because he was too dysfunctional to be with the family. This is not a sermon that says that if you're an abusive family, that all you need to do is just say, I forgive you and keep letting the abuse come. Sometimes some people in our families are so dysfunctional that they have to be separated from the family for a season. For Jacob, it was 20 years. But here is the message of this, that we never stop hoping for their repentance. We never stop praying for heart change. Friends, when we properly understand grace, sin, and salvation, we recognize that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us are in need of grace, and praise God, he is merciful, and if he can save me, he can save anybody. The same grace that I've received that has changed my heart is the same grace that is able to change the heart of the person that I feel has mistreated me. 
I know you may not say amen to that, but all of heaven rejoiced when you came to salvation and it will rejoice. All of heaven will rejoice when the person in your family who you feel like has disappointed you experienced heart change. And let's pray that they do before they meet the Lord. So this family is in a mess, but God is at work. And for 20 years while Jacob is away from the family, God works in his heart and ultimately, and I don't have time to read all of it, but ultimately Jacob comes to a place of repentance. He wrestles with God in the middle of the night trying to wrestle over who he will be. And friends, I want you to know God will wrestle with you and me. And some of you that are in here today, God is wrestling with you right now over will you be my man, my woman, He's trying to rescue you. He's hemmed you in on every side, won't let you get away. He keeps bringing you back to himself, and that's because he loves you. How many thank God for his mercy and for his grace? Well, the story ends on such a powerful chapter. Fast forward 20 years, Jacob finally is a mature enough man where he's repentant before God and he says, I need to make things right. I got to go back and reconcile with my brother. Let me say another parenthetical statement and that is when you get to the place of maturity and you are blessed, reconcile those relationships that maybe you might be tempted to simply walk away from. You might be the game changer in your family to bring reconciliation like Jacob was. So Jacob loads up his family. He goes to meet Esau, sends a message to him. He doesn't know if his brother is still angry or not. Esau is approaching him with 400 men. Jacob thinks that he's about to die, but he sends before him gifts to his brother Esau, not recognizing that God had been working in Esau like God had been working in Jacob, and, and Esau was ready to receive his brother. And so he says, no, I won't take these gifts, but join me in chapter 33. And you say, what happened to the other chapters? Just trust me on them. <laughs> it's all there. You can check it. But verses 10 and 11 in chapter 33 read as this. After Esau did not want to accept his brother's gifts, though he was ready to forgive him, he says, Jacob said in verse 10, no, please if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is uh, brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough, thus he urged him, and he took it, and praise God, this was the moment that they reconciled. And you may say, how in the world is this possible? Well, the word that keeps coming up in these two verses is grace. Grace, grace, and more grace. As a matter of fact, Alan Ross, an Old Testament scholar, says this about this particular passage. He says that there is a significant emphasis on the idea of grace in this section. We see the grace of God and the blessing of both brothers. Grace is extended and received. The blessing offered is because of God's gracious dealing with Jacob. Even Jacob's statement about seeing his brother Esau's face is like seeing the face of God is a reminder of when Jacob encountered God face to face. And 
His life was graciously spared. The overarching message through this beautiful moment of reconciliation is that God's grace worked to make it all possible despite years of family dysfunction. Friends, the message is that God's grace reconciles our dysfunction. And I know, I know it's easier for you to remain bitter, but that's not God's will. God's will is for you to trust him that the same grace that reconciled Esau and Jacob is the same grace that can reconcile your family as well. Amen? Let's all stand. I don't know whose life this applies to. I trust that maybe it applies to yours. But I pray that today you would see that God's grace is able to heal and reconcile your family. I'm gonna pray for us as we get ready to dismiss. I'll dismiss us in prayer, but as we get ready to dismiss, there'll be leaders that are at the front to pray for your family as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your grace is amazing, that when we turn to you, we can see, heal, and reconcile homes. Lord, I pray that those who have been hurt or maybe wounded would see that you're the God who restores. And I pray that today would be the day where you save not only our hearts, but our homes as well. We commend ourselves to you, trusting you in all things, knowing that the beginning of blessing for our family is not us being reconciled to one another first, but us being reconciled to you. But when we do, through faith in Jesus, you bless our homes as well. So we ask it according to your promise. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.